Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. Well, I'm back today, two years on from the conversation I had with John Shore, my great good friend and and real estate maven extraordinaire um, about the state of the commercial office uh, uh, environment and also real estate generally. Um, as you may recollect, John and I worked together at Allied Capital, where he was the go-to guy for all of commercial real estate. And John, because of his position and over the years, uh, he was he was known as the king of the BPs buyer, which was the commercial mortgage-backed securities market, where we underwrote almost all the bonds that got issued during the uh, during the uh, what was that, John? The 2000, uh, 2010s yeah. or two <laughs> 2000s, up until, really. yeah, up until yeah. two thousand six, and uh, so we looked at and John looked in particular looked at tens of thousands of commercial office properties, and so I wanted to get him back on two years after. Uh, after we last talked about what he thinks about the, uh, oh, John, I may have to start this over. I don't think my microphone is on. That's okay. I didn't like one that much anyway. Okay, Maureen, we're going to start over. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Let's see if I, this thing is not on. Okay. There we go. Welcome to the Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. Well, I'm back uh, with my good friend, John Shore. We talked uh, almost two, over two years ago in October 2020 about the state of the commercial real estate market. And as we were in the midst of the lockdowns uh, during the pandemic, well, a lot's changed, but a lot, a lot stays the same since then. And I wanted to get an update from John about where he sees the commercial real estate market right now and, and where this is all going, because it's not just about our money and commercial real estate. But it, with office properties in particular, it's how we live and work. And there's a lot of change, and it looks like some of that change is going to persist. Um, so, John, welcome back. Good to see hey, you. Thank you, Bill. It's great to see you. I'm sorry we're not in person, but... Uh, yeah, me too. You know, well, you're now head of real estate at, at Sigler Golf Company, which is a pretty big operation. Before that, you you ran our real estate operation in Allied Capital, um, wh where are we now? What, what's happening with with uh, with commercial real estate and office? We'll start at big picture, and then I think we want to zero in on some of the uh, some of the specifics. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting when you and I were talking about doing this show, and one of the things I wanted to talk about was kind of the future of office, but how that uh, uh, will affect commercial real estate usage and. Uh, you know, values over the next, whatever, five, 10 years or, or more. And, you know, just if you step way back, right, there's been a number of things happening. We had, you know, when you had the lockdowns, all of a sudden, everybody had to learn to work from home. And, you know, office occupancy went from whatever the 90s down to 10% or something immediately. And then, and then it's bounced back. And, you know, averages kind of 40, 50%, depending on the market. Some markets are higher. Some of the, you know, Sunbelt markets, the occupancy is actually higher. 
At forty percent, John, where where is that compared to two thousand nineteen before all this uh, happened? Well, you know, before pretty much everybody went to the office, right? So we were probably in the ninety percent, right. you know, range or you know nineties, and then and then it moved way down. I did find an interesting quote for you this morning uh, that I wanted to read, and um, you know, it comes from. I'll, I'll read the quote first, and then we can talk a little bit about it. But it says, commuting to office work is obsolete. It is now infinitely easier, cheaper, and faster to do what the 19th century would could not do, move information, and with it, office work to where the people are. The tools to do so are already here. The telephone, two-way video, electronic mail, the fax machine, the personal computer, and so on. So that was from Peter Drucker in 1989. The fax machine dated him. I mean, we've been thinking about this forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, but, you know, what COVID forced us to do is cram 50 years worth of converting to working wherever you wanted to work into two years. And so... You know that's what's kind of happened across the across the country as everybody tries to figure out how many days a week they're going into the office. Um, you know, CEOs of companies are trying to figure out how many square feet of office space they need and and what does the new office look like. You know, I think back our year, my years working with you, Bill. You you had a unique perspective on office use because you said to me one day, you know, John, you spend a big chunk of your life in the office. It ought to be a nice place. And, and you know, <laughs> which, was, which was so true. I mean- I did, and, I did upgrade you, our offices. That's, that is true. <laughs> you did. In, in the many years we worked together, you know, you made it a really nice place and people yeah. wanted to be there. And we did. You know, you and I would spend a big chunk of our days there every day, and that's how how work was done. And so now we're in a world where people are on screens somewhat some days, and people have discovered. Like yeah, yeah, and people have discovered in cities, you know, in New York. Well, maybe you don't need to commute an hour, an hour and a half each way to work. You know, a couple of days a week, you can work from home and save that time for your family or, you know, to live in a different place or whatever it might be. And, you know, we also had this time period where everybody all of a sudden decided they needed a great place to live. They wanted off, you know, some space to work in their house. They wanted to move out to the suburbs. And, you know, some people say half the you know, the craziness in the real estate markets, re residential real estate markets was driven by people trying to figure out, you know, that they wanted more space. Well, that's, that's my understanding. My understanding is that, uh, I think you gave me the statistic, is that 50% of home price appreci appreciation in the last couple of years has been fueled by people wanting to get bigger houses so they can have a home office and, and amenities since, uh, since they don't have to commute in. And the interesting thing is that that now seems to be leveling off um, with people returning to the office. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, it's a huge driver of real uh, residential real estate demand. Yeah, yeah. And so then, then you kind of 
say to yourself as, as people are asking all these questions, and I did throw a whole bunch of statistics at you, um, you know, but some were significant. For example, you know, DC government, you know, in, in DC, we have a lot of government tenants, right? And there's government tenants all over the country, GSA, but, you know, noticeably, you know, the US Patent and Trademark Offices which is, I think, the largest GSA tenant at 2.4 million square feet. Um, you know, they had lease maturities out in 2024, and then they've now elected to renew only two-thirds of that space for mm. five, five years. So, and, you know, there's countless examples of other companies that have moved to either a, a partial work-from-home several days a week or full-time remote and you know i think roughly about 30 percent of the people i think are are working in uh, you know two-thirds two to three days a week in the office and and probably 15 percent of uh, people are working remotely virtually all the time so what does that end up be meaning for for office values and you know, this study that was done by NYU Columbia, you know, was projecting that it would greatly reduce the value of commercial real estate, of, of office buildings. And of well, course, yeah. Well, the thing is, I think you, you know, one of the things that happened is that office, office is not something that drops if you're, if you own an office building and, and you and I owned a lot of office buildings, or at least held a mortgage on yeah. thousands of office buildings. And so we, we tend to think like owners, but then we also did a lot of negotiating for our own space. And the thing about office is that they've got five to 10 year leases. And so it's declining, but it's declining very slowly. But I think you, you mentioned that there's like 250 million square feet of office space space signed for in 2019 and that's dropped down to about 50 million in in yeah. 2022 and so that's that's an 80 percent decline and microsoft is is not going to continue with its office in uh in seattle and uh yeah, well, they're giving up a million square feet of space that you know and reebok reebok is doing that and uh, there's a whole list of uh companies that are deciding they don't need the space that they thought they did uh two years ago three years ago yeah yeah that's right um you know what was the other one that was interesting that all state was looking for some space in downtown chicago and getting rid of their suburban campus but then they said it's going to be a much smaller space because 75 percent of their people are working remotely what, what what's your take on the red blue divide my my you know everything is unbelievably divided politically in this in this world now and but i think we're also seeing that in office aren't we i think the uh the office buildings in in chicago for example are going they're they're being abandoned at, 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 a, at a rapid clip i think in part because of the politics in in chicago whereas the office building in the Sunbelt states, the red states, they tend to have pretty good demand. And, and so I think you're seeing a lot of these big cities with these awful mayors and and um, and, and terrible policies relating to crime, for example. Um, aren't you aren't you seeing a bigger decline in those markets than you are uh, in the in the in the friendlier, as I would say, the friendlier red states? 
Well, I mean, I mean, certainly that's that's true. You know, the cities face a you know particular challenge, right? It's the distance of the commute in and out, depending on how difficult that is. You're right. There's been crime issues in in cities and homelessness and all kinds of other things that make it less attractive to go to than, for example, your suburban office building in Chicago in Charlotte, where you know. It's a nice campus and you can easily drive up and park nearby and go inside and there's walkable amenities. You know, we've we've been watching closely, you know, which office buildings seem to be holding up well or continuing to lease. And, you know, clearly there's a divide. The the sort of C grade B minus buildings tend to be less attractive and, you know, they're the ones that are going to end up being converted or trying to, you know, where there's going to be the substantial drop in value. So what about this, what about this converted notion? I, there's a movement that, you know, I read a piece on, on Chicago, Chicago's trying to take a lot of the properties, office properties on LaSalle street, which is where I used to work back when I was at Continental bank. Yeah. Uh, and they're now trying to they're thinking about converting those to apartments and condominiums. But I think that's a, tough one really i mean you think about some of these buildings and their 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 layout i don't think converts itself very well to 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 uh residential what 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 do you think well you know i mean remember during uh whatever the early 90s you know when when the financial district downtown new york was so empty and a lot of those office buildings were empty and and a number of those ended up being converted and they worked out well because the floor plates were relatively small and there was plenty of window lines and things like that. You're, but you're com completely right, Bill. The big buildings that have these very large floor plates uh, that are, you know, deep, deep, uh, deep cores are going to be hard to, you know, find an alternate use for. And you know, where that goes, I don't know. You know, the other thing is, you know, the costs of the, you know, when you're looking at a building that you're converting, you're basically saying, well, what's the price of you know, the land, so to speak, or what does it cost you per unit, you know, to buy this building and then convert it, your conversion costs, and then be able to sell it to somebody and have it make sense. You know, interestingly enough, you know, New York, I think the residential market has continued to be relatively strong. Still, people want to live in New York, uh, but, you know, they, they don't want to, uh, maybe, the, you know, there's more people that want to work outside or have a little bit more space outside in the suburbs. So. Mm. Well, New York has still got the highest uh, vacancy rate uh, among all the major cities compared to you know, place like Toronto or Frankfurt or or London. Um, but so, John, is I've heard something sort of funny that the the number of people who come back to work full time in an office is a lot higher in the banking business, which is, you know, those of us, you and me, that used to go to office in our suits and our ties, and we're yeah, sort of used to that button up high. world. <laughs> but the but the tech the tech industry has not gone back to work. They they like they like their virtual life, and it's hard to lure them back in. But one of the one of the charming things I heard was that you know the tech tech people specialized in these open spaces with ping pong tables and 
and rooms for safe places and and all sorts of amenities but it was basically open office and you had no privacy and i've heard that there's some people saying well look we'll come back to work for your tech company but i want a private office <laughs> <laughs> no, no no more of this open open floor stuff i want a private office <laughs> right. which i think i think makes a lot of sense actually yeah <laughs> Well, you know, that really remains to be seen. What does the office look like? I mean, I've visited offices where people have hoteling office setups and you could go in and check in and bring your laptop with you and plug in and you have everything that you would need for an office, but you don't have an assigned office in particular. So, you know, and, and the real question is, will people Will the space have more meeting rooms? Will the three days a week you spend in the office be, you know, the days that you're really doing meetings and team building and, you know, conveying the culture of the organization? You know, all the things that, you know, we used to do, but we were there. Well, one of the things that I miss the most, John, about what when you and I used to work together, and it was for 15 years, and you got, you got, Unfortunately, you got to be the CEO in the last year we worked together, which was a tough year, but you were you were brilliant. You were brilliant. <laughs> I kicked myself into the chairman's office so you could do all the hard work. Well, listen, we had a great time and we, we had a great very well together, Bill. And well, we, we did well. We we, we actually got we got a lot of our investors' money back. Not 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 all of it, but some. Um, so but the thing I miss is the investment committee. I mean, the thing that we had was we had 12 to 15 people, all of them very smart. We all gathered into the into our investment committee room and we talked about investments, we, private equity, real estate, small business loans, you know, everything. And we learned so much from each other. And that exchange we had, even if you weren't doing the talking, even if you're just listening, being in that room, being in that room for all with all those smart people for two or three hours you know, two or three days a week, I thought was incredible. I, I that that to me is a very hard thing to replicate when you are like what we are on on Zoom. When you're on, particularly if if, if it's a larger meeting where it's sort of like Hollywood Squares. I, I don't, I don't, I, I just, I think you lose something without that uh, that ability to interact. Yeah, well, I mean, Bill, you you know, I mean, we had offices in new york and chicago and i think at san francisco at one point and we had one in texas and then we, we try the tech the technology back then didn't too didn't, many <laughs> too many and the, but the technology didn't work nearly as well as it does today and 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 there's been a lot of time and energy developed to the you know made expended so that this technology works pretty darn well and uh you know for somebody like me and for you too. I mean, this makes us working into, uh, I don't say how old we are, but uh, you know, we're working at this point in our lives a little bit easier, so. Uh, yeah, well, I actually, been, you know, I've been doing this remote thing for a long, for a while and I, you know, I've gotten used to it and like it. Let me, let me, let me just pause for a second. This is the Bill Walton show and I'm talking with my friend, John Shore, who's, uh, real estate ex expert extraordinaire and i'm about to ask john um the tough question was okay john we've been talking about where we've been and more, sort of where we are but you're still actively investing investor dollars in real estate 
what's investable? What would you stay away from? Uh, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> you know, right now it's very tough to invest in office because, you know, so many people are nervous about what the future of office is and how much of a hangover there will be. You know, the NYU Columbia study is saying that, you know, office values could come down 40%. Um, 40%. You know, we, 40%. I thought it was even down. Is, I thought it was even down more than that. You mean 40% from well, they, here? They, 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 had one, they, had one, they had one piece where they were saying it was more than that. But, but you know, it's all extrapolated based on occupancies and rental rates and things like that over the next 10 years. You know, I do think it's going to be a difficult market for the next 10 years, as, as you were pointing out, leases roll over. You know, if you think about some of the things that have happened in commercial real estate over the past couple decades, right, we had, we had uh, you know, e-commerce become a bigger and bigger chunk of retail sales. And then, and then all of a sudden, people didn't want to go to malls anymore. And, you know, it, big chunk of the malls, particularly the older malls became less valuable and values dropped substantially. And you could say that office is in for probably something like that, right? The offices that are less desirable and less desirable locations that don't aren't amenitized properly, that aren't as, uh, you know, don't have all the latest clean air technology and, and you know the nice bright windows and bright kinds of lighting and things like that you know the things that don't have those are probably going to fall in value substantially but then you know i personally believe that you know people will want to have an office that every company is going to want to have an office some somewhere someplace or maybe they'll have several offices i think people are still going to want to go into the office maybe they don't go in every day maybe there's you know, certain places where people are going in three days a week or three and yeah. a half or four, but, but, you know, I still think they're going to need offices and it may be designed separately. But, but my point was that, you know, it's very difficult to invest in office now because you're trying to figure out exactly what it okay, is. Let, 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 let me ask the question a different way. We've got $10 million. Yeah. Where do we want to put it in? Let's stick to real estate. Do we want office? Do we want retail? Do we want warehouses? Do we want, uh, um, what am I forgetting here? Hotels? You know, I've heard, yeah, and I'll answer my own question in part. I've heard hotels are, have come back strongly because groups are beginning to show up and the occupancy rates are way up and the room rates are way up because to your point, companies want to get people together to be face-to-face and they're sort of having these outings, group outings in, in hotels. Uh, I've also heard that, that with retail, after declining for, you know, forever, we still got more retail space per person than any place else on the planet. We still have way too much. But with people shopping just online, now that they can go back to stores, they're doing that. They and are. Demand, the demand for real estate uh, 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 retail is way up. And so- yeah. They've gone from being empty to being uh, to full up. So they have come back, which was, uh, I don't think anybody really predicted that, but that's what happened. No, 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 that, that's exactly right. And, and, you know, in particular, post-COVID, 
people, you know, it's somewhat happened in the hotel industry too. It's kind of the rebound from people being cooped up and not able to travel and not able to go to stores. So they, you know, went and did all those things more than they might have otherwise. But, um, you know, hotels, if you think about kind of the darlings of the last few years, right, apartment buildings, multifamily, you know, we're still undersupplied, theoretically, at least in, in housing in this country. And so, you know, the multifamily demand should remain fairly strong. You know, we saw incredible price increases for rents over the last two years during COVID. That's kind of leveled off and probably will, you know, be a more moderate level. Same thing with industrial, because you had this explosion of e-commerce demand. Amazon leased all kind of millions and millions of square feet, some of which they didn't need. And now that's leveled off as well. So, you know, both industrial and, and apartment rents probably won't increase quite, quite as fast as they had been. And you're right, retail had been beaten up for a decade. People are still nervous about retail. But the thing we discovered even during COVID is that people love, uh, you know, grocery anchored centers, centers that have stores that, you know, for some convenient item or whatever that you need or some service that you need. People still love that and they would like to be able yeah. to go to it. And those things seem to work well. And, and uh, you know, I, I think there's still for, the, for those three asset classes, right, there's still financing that's relatively easy to get. Hotels have been, through years in my career, have been, you know, they've been up and down. I mean, you and I both remember. <laughs> it's I been mean, a wild ride. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a wild ride. And, yeah. you know, it's very profitable when it works right. And, uh, you know, you yeah, have to pick pick the sites and, and the amenities very carefully and they're very capital intensive. You have to continually upgrade them because everybody wants the latest, greatest, newest experience. Um, well, well, go ahead. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, kind of the last piece office maybe where, where uh, retail was, you know, our malls were, you know, 10 years ago or something along those lines where people are nervous and, you know, it's hard to pick the winners at this point and fully understand what the future of office is. You know, it's an evolving thing. And yeah. you know, I can sit here and tell you whatever I think. And lots of people have opinions. But, you know, we'll see how it works out over the next few years. Well, if you had to bet on, I'd bet on one thing. I'd bet on people's ability to be creative and figure out new ways to use an asset. I mean, if you've got these big yeah. assets, you got a big office building somebody's going to figure out an interesting way to use it. And, you know, all these times you would have said in 82 or 97 or whenever, 2001. I mean, anytime anybody predicts cataclysm and this is done, it almost never happens. Somebody comes in and says, well, I got, I, I, I got something new I can do with this. And next thing you know, everybody wants in on it. <laughs> it's true. Well, I, I mean, if you remember when, uh, you know, early 90s, right? They had built all these office buildings out in Northern Virginia. And you and I kind of had a front row seat watching all that. And then oh, the dot-com, the dot-com, the Dulles Corridor. Oh, yeah. Right, right. I mean, all these things. <laughs> oh, my gosh, there's 10-year supply. And, you know, <laughs> miraculously, two years later, it was mostly leased. And, uh, 
you know, and downtown DC went the same way, right? Everybody didn't want to be in downtown DC in the middle mid nineties and then and early early to mid nineties and then all of a sudden everybody wanted to be in downtown DC. So well some of the things that well, some of my favorite remembrances of being in the investment business forever is the things you didn't do. And he will have to go on name, but remember one of the wealthy guys in DC came to us and he said, well, you know, these tech companies are all going to be filling these offices on along the Dulles corridor, which is the Dulles tollway yeah. from DC out to the airport. And, you know, here's my idea. They're, they're, they don't have a lot of cash. So what we'll do is instead of charging them cash rent, we'll take equity and all these dot coms and we're going to make a fortune because that equity that equity is going to be worth a hundred times what we could have gotten in cash and i'm i think we, you know i think you and i looked at each other and said well you know we'd rather have the cash yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and had we taken the equity it would have been absolutely worthless so yeah, one, <laughs> that was a bullet we dodged that's true and we also we also sold our real estate our commercial mortgage-backed securities portfolio and you were really annoyed with me in 2005 or 2006 when we thought that 2005 uh, yeah yeah i was you know maybe we were a year early but not not by much no because that all that all came a cropper but it it brings me to to where we are right now how much trouble what, what's the impact of inflation and high interest rates on on the, your investing work in uh, in real estate well you know, it's it's funny when you think back, uh, you know, a year ago, a year ago or more, you know, when interest rates were zero and so so for LIBOR was 25 basis points and and, you know, you could borrow at three or that's three. a quarter. That's a quarter of a percent. Quarter yeah, of percent. yeah. 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 And, you know, and light and so for is now four percent. So, uh, you know, roughly. But but the. Um, you know, if you add a spread onto that and, you know, when you were able to borrow money, you know, at three or three and a half percent, and now it's six and a half percent or seven percent. And, and, you know, some uh, lenders have increased the spread for things they perceive to be riskier. For example, you know, an office building that's not fully leased, you know, you might pay, you know, 600 or 650 or 700 over over SOFR. So you're talking 10 and a half, 11 percent. Six, six percent. That's a lot. It's a lot. So, so, you know, as I said to, uh, I was talking to one of our former colleagues, Mike Grishis, the other day, and I said, I said, you know, 10 percent mortgage rates on office buildings. I said, that reminds me of when I worked, you and I worked together 30 years ago, and that's what we were charging back then. But, um, but, you know, what it does is that it changes the whole in investment environment. And, and, you know, before when you were borrowed, when money was free, right, your, you know, your returns on equity, if it was 3% and you could get, you know, your equity was getting, you could get 12% or something like that, that probably seemed pretty attractive. Um, you know, but equity returns for you and I have always been around 20%. Roughly. Right. I mean, then right. and 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 mezzanine returns were always around, you know, 10 or 12 percent. And, you know, then 
senior loan rates were somewhere between, I don't know, 6% or something along those lines. But, but you know, when they got down to 3%, so then theoretically mezzanine had to come down some and equity had to come down some. So now we're at a, a point where, right, if you can do a Which mortgage, led to a big rise in prices. Yeah, huge rise in prices. Money so prices costs less happen. to buy it. So rates went down, prices went up. Yep. And so, you know, prices have to come down. I mean, if you, you know, on most of these assets, cap rates have to increase and then the prices have to come down. They come down five, 10. For those that don't know our jargon, cap rates are basically the required return on, on investing in a particular asset class. Right. And like, so cap rates were very low. Yeah. Certain assets, and now they're going to be higher. And so, so you've had, you know, the rise in interest rates has caused an adjustment in real estate values. It's the cost, the increase of debt. You know, today, right now, it's funny to me, you know, when we first did the first app fund, our first real estate fund back in 92, and also did one with Segular Guff back then as well, you know, we were investing in first mortgages and getting... Right you know, 10, 12% or, or more. And you know, today there's still things like that that you can do. I mean, you can get, you know, senior debt and mezzanine debt still, you know, in low teens returns, which is very attractive for this point in the cycle. Now, at some point, prices will come down more and then, and there'll be more opportunistic real estate plays. But for right now, you know, the debt part of the real estate market seemed to be an interesting place to be. So we've got our $10 million. It's still burning a hole in my pocket. Where would you, <laughs> where, where would you put it or would you keep it in the bank? I, you know, right now, the things I, I think they're, um, you know, I would do either, as I was just saying, senior debt or mezzanine or type okay. debt on those things where if I can get a low teens return or low to mid teens return and take less risk than I would be taking for an equity investment, I would do that. I do, you know, stable asset classes, you know, to the extent that I can make them available. So that might mean some multifamily assets some industrial assets and retail assets. Uh, and then, you know, there's going to be opportunistic things that you can do. If anybody can figure out the right formula for office and figure out which are the, going to be the winners and which are going to be the losers, there's going to be tremendous opportunity, right? I mean, the, the, you know, the times when the best investment times are when everybody's afraid and everybody you know, shuns an asset class, for example, if you can understand what to do with that and do it the right, execute it properly, that's where you can make the most money, so. Okay, well, I've been taking mental notes. I'm gonna, we'll, I'll give you a call after this. We'll yeah, yeah, out. yeah, well, <laughs> and, and by the way, there's some really interesting opportunities in mortgage-backed securities, you know, in part driven by the fact that, you know, the Fed, bulked up its balance sheet with all these mortgage-backed securities and treasuries, and now they're trying to reduce the size of the balance sheet from $9 trillion down to 
something reasonable, which, you know, I don't know what you and I think that might be, four trillion. About, 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 you know, half a, half a trillion, something, right. and, a lot and, less. And, Fed shouldn't and, be in that business. And by the way, <laughs> banks were in the position where they were buying a lot of mortgage-backed securities too, because the yields were attractive and, you know, all their deposits were free. And now, you know, the regulators are saying they've got to put a little pressure on them. So, you know, there's a whole number of interesting opportunities right now. Well, John, we're going to wrap it up. I, I, but I do want to give you a last word here. What, what, what should, what should our takeaway be about what we've been talking about? You know, I think that, um, you know, COVID's changed a lot of things. I think it greatly accelerated the ability of people to work from home, the new technologies surrounding that. You can work from home or wherever you might be. And I think there's going to, you know, that has also changed the way people want to live, where they want to live, how much space they want. And so, you know, over the next whatever, five or 10 years, we're going to see this, this change um, work through the system. But as I said to you before, you know, I still believe companies are going to need offices and they're going to need spaces to get together, need to promote the culture. You and I need to work with young people and, and teach them how we work and how we share ideas. And... Well, now we know if we can just give them a private office, they'll be... Uh... <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> well, John Shore, thank you. Head of uh, real estate investing at Sigler Golf and my great, great partner at Allied Capital. And uh, let's come back in uh, a little bit as this as this unfolds. I'm I'm still very nervous about the effect of massive spending and money supply creation on on inflation and on interest rates. And so the investment environment I fear is is that stagflation environment where we've got a lot of inflation and not much growth and very high interest rates. Don't want to go back there, no, but on don't. that unhappy note, uh, <laughs> anyway, thanks. Thanks for, thanks for joining. And uh, we'll be with you next time. And okay. as usual, you can find the show on Substack and rumble and YouTube and all the major podcast podcast platforms. And we're on uh, CPAC now on Monday nights, uh, at seven o'clock and uh, this maybe this is where you're catching this show so anyway thanks for thanks for joining and uh, we'll talk with you soon i hope you enjoyed the conversation want more click the subscribe button or head over to the billwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes you can also learn more about our guest on our interesting people page and send us your comments we read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show if it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.